just had uh, somebody tell me that I'm very, uh, I have the ugliest sweater on. In fact, I've had about seven people tell me that I'm wearing my Seattle Seahawks ugly sweater today. Um, what, what's funny is I, I was looking forward to this Sunday so I could break this sweater out because I bought this last year for an ugly sweater party. And when else do you get to wear an ugly Christmas sweater with your favorite team on it? So I was looking forward to it. And then um, my favorite team played Thursday night, and they completely upped the ugly ante. If you can see their jerseys, I think I got a, a picture of it. That's what my Seahawks looked like on Thursday. Um, and so... Uh, there's two saving graces from that picture. Uh, One is they won the game anyway. If you're going to look ugly, you better win uh, for sure. Um, And number two, they're never wearing them again, at least not this season. So praise God for that. Uh, But uh, I am thrilled that many of you got to participate in Ugly Sweater Sunday. And we're going to be doing some prizes at the end of service for different age brackets, $25 Target cards for all of our winners. So hopefully you chose to participate and I have a chance to walk home with that today. If you got your Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 15. We're going to dive right into our message today. Uh, We are in part three, really the last part of our series called Times and Seasons. And I I say really the last part because uh, part three, we're actually going to have a part 3B um, we're, we're not doing service next Sunday morning for Christmas. We're letting everybody celebrate with their families. We're doing a, a Christmas Eve service that we're inviting everybody to at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. We'll talk more about that later. But I am going to film a video this week, and we'll upload it uh, to our church website and to our Facebook page that you can watch a, a little mini message uh, Sunday, Christmas Sunday morning. And it's going to be part 3B. It's going to really wrap this series up uh, and finish it off. So this is our last full message in this series, but we have a little bonus uh, message coming uh, this week as well. But in John chapter 15, we, we come to a passage that we actually studied um, once already this year, and, and I want to go back to it for a couple of reasons. One, um, we're, we're in this, se- this series, Times and Seasons, and we've been looking at, at how God moves in seasons and how God uh, has appointed different times. In fact, last week we looked at how uh, th- there's two different words for time in the Greek. Uh, there's chronos and kairos. Uh, and how, man, we, we can begin to seize those Kairos moments, those God moments, those, those special moments. I hope you were able to do that this week, actually. I uh, got to talk to a few people this week who, who had some incredible Kairos moments, who God showed up in a, an incredible way. We got somebody just waving their hand like, yes, that's me, praise God. I hope you had some Kairos this week. Um, but, but we've been looking at, at, at kind of some agricultural analogies. We, we looked in Ecclesiastes and saw how there's a time to plant and a time to reap. We looked in Galatians and saw how, how it's guaranteed that, that we will reap what we sow. And if we do not faint, if we do not grow weary in doing good, we will reap a harvest at the right time, at the kairos time, at the God-appointed perfect moment we will reap a harvest. And so there's this other agricultural analogy. In fact, there's many of them in Scripture. But in John chapter 15, Jesus says this. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. What we find in the book of John are, are seven different discourses, seven, seven different points, seven different discussions that Jesus has with his followers where he uses this phrase, I am. He makes this declaration, I'm God, I'm Yahweh, I am he. Uh, and, and, and then he says something about himself. He gives us a metaphor, an illustration of something about his character, something about his nature. I am the, the resurrection and the life. I am the, the gatekeeper. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am, I am, I am. But 
But what's interesting is of all those I am statements, he actually unpacks this one more than any of them. He gives us more information about how he is a vine than any of the other I am statements. And so I don't think that means that he's more of a vine than he is the way, the truth, and the life, or more of a vine than he is the, the, the good shepherd. But I do think it means he wanted us to really get this. He wanted us to really understand the importance of he being a vine and him, his father being a gardener. It says that he, the father, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You want to be even more fruitful this, this Christmas season? You want to be even more fruitful in 2017 than in 2016? I do. I want to be more fruitful. And it says in order for that to happen, God's going to have to do some pruning. He says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And then he says this. He says, remain in me. Everybody say remain. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. How are we proven to be his disciples? We bear fruit. How do we bear fruit? We remain in Jesus. We remain connected to the vine. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that that Jesus came for us and that he came and declared who he is. He came and declared who you are to teach us about you, to teach us about himself. God, that we could be connected to you. God, I ask today is, is I don't know every situation that people are going through in this place today. God, I don't know every challenge that your people face today. I don't know every struggle. I don't know every opportunity I don't know every decision, God. In fact, I don't know most of them. God, but you know, and so I pray that you speak directly to the seasons that we are in, directly to those who who need encouragement today, God, directly to those uh, who need correction today, directly to those who who, who need inspiration today. God, speak to us today, and we thank you that you are going to speak. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone say amen. So we're going to talk today about weathering the winter, weathering the winter, um, all of us face seasons of winter. Uh, all of us in life come to, to, to seasons that, that feel like they're never going to end. Seasons that are cold, seasons that are dark, seasons that, that are difficult. And, and I don't want to over-describe the winter season because how many of you know some, some winters are worse than others, but that doesn't mean that it's not winter. Like your, your winter might be three days long, but it might feel like it's never going to end. I don't want to, to minimize that winter. Your winter might be three years long. And you might really seriously be wondering, is this ever going to end? I certainly don't want to minimize your winter today. But whatever your winter looks like, whether it's emotional or spiritual or relational, whatever that, that season is that you come to and it feels like, how can I ever get through this? I, I want you to know that you can weather that winter. Uh, we've already seen and discovered in this series that, that if we know where to look, we can discover God's purpose and God's presence in the middle of any season of life, in the middle of any challenge that we face. And so I know many of you are, are facing challenging seasons this morning. And, and so I want to look at, at those of you who, who don't have a job. And I want to tell you that how you can winter weather this winter. I want to look at those of you who who face a Christmas, maybe the first Christmas, 
without a loved one who, who has left your life perhaps physically or, or perhaps just relationally. And you're weathering a very difficult winter right now. But, but I also want to speak to those of you who, who have a job and who are going to spend Christmas with everybody who's important to you, but you're still in a season of stress, a season of disappointment, a season with no joy. Every winter may look different, but, but winter does not have to destroy us. We can survive the winter and make it through the winter and actually grow through winter, I truly believe. Um, we cannot choose our circumstances. Some of our circumstances we can choose. Some of our circumstances are caused by our decisions. But, but at this point in life, you've probably figured out not everything you've experienced is because of your decision. Other people make decisions, and sometimes life just happens, and they cause new circumstances for us to face. We can't always choose our circumstances. You can't always choose your season, right? We discovered that, that God posts, this, that God determines the seasons, but he doesn't post the calendar. We can't always choose what month it is in our life, or whether it's a season of spring and new beginnings, or a season of summer and, and celebration, or or a season of winter and loss. We don't always choose what season we're in, but we can't always choose our response to that season. Uh, certainly some seasons are self-inflicted. If you're here today and, and you're in a season of winter because you ran up $40,000 in credit card debt uh, playing online poker, you're in a self-inflicted winter, right? Like that's, that's some bad choices that you've made. Um, and you're going to have to make some different choices to get out of that winter. You're going to have to start embracing some obedience and, and some discipline. But many of you are here today in a winter not of your own causing, not of your own infliction. Many of you are here in a winter today that you just found yourself in. One day the calendar turned, and before you knew it, yesterday it was 75 and the AC was on, but today the windshield is frozen. And it seemed like it came out of nowhere. It seemed like it came with no warning, with no expectation. We don't often control the season, but we do always control the response. So what I want to do today is I want to share with you three things that God does in us in the winter. Because here's, here's what I believe and here's what I want for you. If you are in a winter today, I don't want your winter to be wasted. I, I'm not saying that God causes every winter or God brings every winter in our life because I don't believe that. But I do believe that every winter comes with some potential. Every winter comes with some possibility, something that we can gain from it. And I don't know about you, I don't want to suffer for nothing. If I'm going through a winter season, if I'm going through a challenge, through a struggle, I want to make sure that I'm growing through it, that I'm learning through it, that I'm closer to God when I get out of it than I was when I came into it. So I'm going to show you today three things that God can do in your winter. Three reasons that I, that I believe God even allows and, and perhaps even on occasion causes some winters in our lives so he can do these things in us. Even when the enemy may cause it or others may cause it or even when we may cause it, I do believe God is still at work in our lives and he wants to do something in our winter. Look at somebody next to you and say, you need this today. Some of us need this today, don't we? And I needed you to tell them that because... They might not be going through the winter right now. They might be hanging out at the beach, and they're hearing all this talk about the winter and looking around and saying, man, life is beautiful, and the sun is out, and my tan looks good. But there will be a winter in that person's life, too. So even if you're not in the winter today, I believe these three principles are things you can grab hold of and carry with you as you move through summer and into fall and into the next winter that comes in your life. I, I understand very clearly. I'm 36 years old. I haven't been through some of the situations that many of you have faced. I haven't suffered some of the loss that many of you 
have suffered. I haven't experienced some of the pain that many of you have walked through. But, but I know this, God's word applies in every season, in every life. And even though I may not be able to relate to everything that you've gone through, God hasn't been surprised by it. God hasn't been caught off guard by it. God can relate to it. And if we'll allow him to, he can bring us through it to be better on the other side. So, so three things that God wants to do in the winter. Number one, God wants to prepare you for something. God wants to prepare you for something. Many times, winter seasons are about preparing for something. David, as a shepherd boy, went through some winter, right? He's out there hanging out with some sheep, playing his harp, writing songs of worship to God. And in the midst of him worshiping his God and celebrating, here comes a lion. Here comes a bear. And you can imagine David at some point in time saying, God, why me? Man, all these other shepherd boys are out here, and they're, they're sleeping on the job. They're napping under the tree. All these other shepherd boys are out here, and they're not singing songs of worship to you. They're working on, man, writing a, a letter to that girl across the street. Or they're doing all this other stuff, and I'm the one who's spending time in your presence, and I'm the one that keeps getting lions and bears and deadly animals showing up trying to mess with my sheep. Why me, God? See, what David didn't understand when that lion showed up, what he didn't know when that bear showed up is there was a giant lurking around the corner. And God had to teach him how to slay that beast, how to protect his flock. God had to teach David that, how to have the courage to confront the enemy, teach him how to walk in faith that I'm going to be with you whatever you face because Goliath was coming for David. Goliath wasn't coming for the shepherd boy around the street. And so many times when we walk through a winter, I'm not saying that God caused it. I'm not saying that God even sent that lion or sent that bear. But many times when those things show up in our life, God's preparing us for something down the road. David would never have been the legend that he became had he not slain Goliath. And he may not have had the faith to slay Goliath if he'd not slain a lion and a bear. God was preparing him for something in his winter. Jesus says this in John 15, 1. He says, my father is the gardener. My father is the gardener. And we've been talking about all these, the, these agricultural metaphors the last few weeks. And, and let, let's be clear, we're not a real agricultural people, right? We're, we're a suburban people. Uh, just because you shop at Whole Foods doesn't mean you're a farmer, right? Like, like just because you eat organic doesn't mean you've got all this stuff figured out. Like we're pretty much city folk for the most part. There, there's a few country folk in here who maybe know a little bit more about this than others. But for most of us, we're, we're not really qualified to be farmers. But, but God gives us these principles, and I think we can learn from them even if we're not the greenest of thumbs. The, the poet Percy Shelley said this, and I love this quote. He says, oh, wind, if winter comes, can spring be far behind? The guarantee, right? Like, like we don't live in, I don't know if you guys read the, the Narnia books growing up or ever watched The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but, but in this story, there's this white witch who takes over Narnia, and she takes over Narnia, and she makes it always winter, but never Christmas. Like, the worst thing you can imagine, right? Like, it's always winter, but never Christmas. We, we don't live in that world. We live in a world where winter comes. We live in a world where winter shows up, but we don't live in a world where it is always winter, you see, winter comes, but it comes with the promise of something else around the corner. 
It comes with the promise that, that a day is going to come, and, and I love that day. There's always like that first day where you feel like spring, and I'm ready to go hit a baseball or swing a golf club. Like There's something about the spring in the air where you have a, literally a new spring in your step where you're re-energized. It's like, man, it feels like life, and I want to be outdoors, and, and I'm ready to take on the new challenges that come. See, if, if you're in winter today, I believe the spring is on the way. I can't tell you when spring comes. I can't say it's going to be here March 20th or March 21st or six weeks after Groundhog sees his shadow. I don't know when spring is going to show up in your life. But if you're in winter, I do believe spring is coming. Can spring really be far behind? We, we don't have the power to just change the season. I don't know if you saw that Adam Sandler movie a few years back, Click. Uh, but, but Adam Sandler in this movie, Click, he's got this remote control that controls life. And he can just fast forward through all the boring parts of life, right? Like he can fast forward through all the stuff that's not that exciting and fast forward through all the stuff that's not that enjoyable. But what he finds out is in fast forwarding through all that stuff, he ends up missing out on everything that matters. We can't just fast forward through winter. I wish I could. I wish I had that ability. I wish I could just click. And you're out of your winter, and, and summer, spring is here. I wish I could just click, and as soon as we get past Christmas, because, man, I love Christmas. But once Christmas is done, man, spring, I'm ready for spring, right? I wish we could do that, but God doesn't give us that ability. God's the one who appoints the seasons and the times in our life. He's the one who controls those things. He's the one who holds the remote. But a season of blessing is often preceded by a season that seems to be barren. In, in winter, what happens, the ground gets to rest. Nothing's growing in the ground. There's nothing budding on the trees. Nothing's prospering, and it looks dead. But stuff isn't actually dead. What's happening is, is the way that God ordained it and the way God designed it is winter fulfills a very important purpose. It allows the ground to, to revitalize. It allows the nutrients in the soil to reaccumulate. It allows all the growth that comes from spring actually happens because of what seems like the deadness of winter. And many times in our life, we're going through a winter season and we don't realize the nutrients that we're accumulating. We don't realize the stuff that, that is now being deposited in us, that's being restored in us to prepare us for the next season of growth. And we may look and see, man, I don't see any growth. But something is actually happening in us. I, I know I've already said this today, but I love this about you. You, you, you went through a 50-degree swing in temperature in the last 24 hours and you still got to church. That's so cool to me. That's so cool to me. See, sometimes winter comes, and it seems like we're just like, I'm, just, I'm done. I'm out. I'm just not going to show up. I don't know about you guys, man. I moved to the south when I was almost 15 years old. I was just short of 15, turned 15 right after we moved to the south. And my first winter in the south, I remember we, we lived in North Carolina, and, and we had it snow. And it snowed one inch. And people lost their minds. Right? Completely lost their mind. I kid you not, it snowed one inch and we were out of school for two weeks. I'm not making this up. I was like, the South is awesome. This is the best place ever. I got out of school for two weeks for one inch of snow. Like, like sometimes the winter, we, we don't do real good at weathering the winter down here, right? Like this isn't something that, that we're accustomed to. We can handle 110 degrees in humidity. We know how to do that thanks to somebody who invented an air conditioner, let me just say. If it wasn't for that, we wouldn't be so hot in the winter either. We wouldn't be so good at that. But, but we can handle the winter better. If, if you're a transplant, if you move down here from the north, you probably laugh at the way that we handle the winter. You probably laugh at the way that, man, there's one snowflake and Walmart is completely wiped out. 
Uh, you like, it's like, man, we're preparing for the Armageddon. The end of the world is here. Get everything you can, every man for himself, right? We're not, we're not good at handling it, but here you are, southerner, Mississippi. You don't get more southern than Mississippi. It's 28 degrees outside, and you still showed up at church today. You didn't let the winter stop you from getting what God has for you today. I, I love that. You just said, you know what, devil, I'm, I'm not going to be the kind of Christian that stops, that shuts down, that freaks out when it's cold outside. And I'm not really talking about coming to church. I'm just using that as an illustration. Man, we've got to determine I'm not going to be the kind of Christian that shuts down when winter shows up in my life. I'm not going to be the kind of Christian that loses my mind every time there's some snow in my life. I'm not going to be the kind of Christian who takes two weeks off of school every time there's an inch on the ground. I'm going to be the kind of Christian who keeps on showing up. I'm going to be the kind of Christian that keeps praying even when I don't hear an answer. I'm going to be the kind of Christian that keeps praising even when I don't feel God's presence. I'm going to be the kind of Christian that keeps opening the word of God even when I don't feel like he's speaking to me that week. I'm going to be the kind of Christian that keeps giving even when, man, things are a little tight. I'm going to be the kind of Christian that keeps serving even when nobody said thank you to me that week. I'm going to be the Christian who keeps on showing up. Not going to let the winter stop me from growing. I'm not going to let the winter stop me from God's best for my life. I'm not going to let the winter stop me from the preparation that God wants to do in me in this season. I'm not going to let that happen. I don't just pray when things are going well. I don't just worship when things are going great. Even in the winter time, I know that my God is worthy of my glory. And I'm going to give it to him no matter what. Oh, wind, if winter comes, Spring must be on the way. Touch somebody and tell them, show up in the cold. Show up even when it hurts. Show up when you're crying. Show up when you don't feel God's presence. Just keep showing up. So God wants to prepare you for something in the season. Look, I understand that my message today can't take your pain away. I wish it could. I'd love to, to take the pain in this room away. If I had that ability, I don't. But together with God's help, my, here, here's my prayer is that we can find some purpose in your pain. That your pain would not be wasted. That your pain would produce something positive in your life that you'd come out on the other side better because I truly believe spring is on the way. And we're going to submit to the gardener. We're going to allow him to do some stuff in our life. So number one, God wants to prepare you for something. Number two, God wants to prune something off of you. He wants to prune something from you. did a whole message about this back in the summer and and looked at how God loves to prune, how God is called to prune. I'm not going to overly belabor this point today because we've we've studied it, but I do believe there's some other things we can discover on this topic than what we've already learned this year. Um, Sometimes God will prepare me for something, but many times he's going to prune something off of me. It's the word that Jesus uses starting in verse 2. He says, God the gardener has a process, and, and here's what he does. says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So, so here's what he says. He says, if you don't bear fruit in God, what's going to happen? You're going to get cut. But he says, if you do bear fruit in God, what's going to happen? You're going to get cut. Guess what? You're going to get cut. Praise Jesus. I'm glad I came to church today. I could be sitting home in the Snuggie where it's warm. I came to church to hear I'm going to get cut. Maybe it's not real encouraging today, but it's the truth. There's going to be some cutting in your life. 
This is the truth of the word of God. This is the promise of God is whether you serve him or not, whether you obey him or not, whether you submit to him or not, there's going to be some cutting that comes. There's going to be some scissors. There are going to be some clippers that show up. Either way, you get cut. Sometimes we get these false ideas about Christianity that, man, if I give my life to Jesus and I obey him and do everything he wants me to do, then everybody in my family is going to be safe and nothing bad is ever going to happen and I'm never going to go through any suffering. But that's not the way it works. I believe in a God who blesses us. I believe in a God who protects us. I believe in a God who is a good God. But I also know the word of God tells us very plainly there's going to be some pain. The the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The sun shines on the just and the unjust. There is no way for you to obey your way out of ever experiencing pain. You can't do it. There's no way for you to get close enough to God that nothing bad will ever happen to you. And so Jesus says, even if you bear fruit... There's some cutting that's going to happen. There's some pain that's going to come your way. But, but here's where I'm at. I would rather be cut back than cut off. He says, if you don't bear fruit, you're getting cut off. If you do bear fruit, I'm going to cut you back. I'm going to take some stuff away from you that you don't need. Either way, you're getting cut. But you do get to choose why are you getting cut. Are you getting cut because you don't belong here and you're cut off? Or are you getting cut because, man, there's more fruit to come out of you and I see something better for you in your future and I've got something greater for you to birth in the spring that's ahead so i got to get rid of some of this other stuff that's sucking up some nutrients, that's sucking up some energy, that's sucking up some space. I'm going to clip that out of you to prepare you for the stuff I want to bring through you. The, cut, the reason for the cutting is what we can control. You can't choose if you get cut, but you can't choose why he cuts you. You can choose what the purpose of the cutting is for. And so for me, I want to be cut back, not cut off. I want God to clip stuff out of me that doesn't belong. I don't want to be separated from his presence. Um, There's an author named Richard Stengel, and and Richard Stengel spent three years. He's actually the, the publisher now of Time Magazine. He spent three years in South Africa with Nelson Mandela, and I don't know how much you know about Nelson Mandela, but he was well, one of the most influential people of the 20th century. He, he helped lead South Africa out of a, a, a season of apartheid and, and great racial segregation and, and one, one of the great heroes of the 20th century. And, and so Richard Stengel spent three years alongside Mandela, and he wrote a biography of Mandela. And, and, and I want to read you a, a couple of excerpts. It's going to take a couple of minutes, but I think it's going to be very, very beneficial for you to hear what Nelson Mandela went through and, and what he had to say about it. Stengel says this, he says, Nelson Mandela had many teachers in his life, but the greatest of them all was prison. Prison molded the man we see and know today. He learned about life and leadership from many sources, but the 27 years he spent in prison became the crucible that both hardened him and burned away all that was extraneous. Prison taught him self-control, discipline, and focus, the things he considers essential to leadership, and it taught him how to be a full human being. So if, if you're not familiar with the story, Nelson Mandela was, was a leader in South Africa try, trying to bring, seg- yeah, switch that out. Thank you. Check, check, check. Check, check. Bring me up a little bit. Yeah, awesome. Thank you guys. Hopefully that'll do better. Thank you very much. So, so Nelson Mandela was this leader um, and, and as he's pushing for Equality, as he's pushing for restoration in his nation, 
he actually gets thrown in prison. He's considered a, a political enemy uh, of those in power. And so they throw him in prison. He spends 27 years in prison. And, and Richard Stengel, his biographer, says this. He said, how did this passionate revolutionary become a measured statement? In prison, he had to temper his responses to everything. There was little a prisoner could control. The only thing you could control that you had to control was yourself. Some of you are in a winter right now, and there's so many things out of control in your life. There's so many things you cannot control. But can I just encourage you today, the one thing you can control is you. Some of us are trying to control things we'll never be able to control. Some of us are trying to control circumstances, trying to control others, trying to control the way things go, and, and it's out of control. The one thing you can control in your life is you. It says that the one thing that Mandela could control, even in prison, was himself. There was no room for outbursts or self-indulgence or lack of discipline. He had no zone of privacy. When I first walked into Mandela's old cell on Robben Island, I gasped. It was not a human-sized space, space, much less Mandela-sized. He could not stretch out when he was lying down. It was obvious that prison had both literally and figuratively molded him. There was no room for extraneous motion or emotion. Everything had to be pruned away. These are Stengel's words. Everything had to be ordered. Every morning and every evening, he painstakingly arranged the few possessions he was allowed to have in that tiny cell. Almost to the end of this. One more paragraph. It says, over and over there, though, I used to ask him how prison had changed him. How was the man who came out in 1990 different from the man who entered in 1962? The question annoyed him. He either ignored it, went straight to a policy answer, or denied the premise. Finally, one day, he said to me in exasperation, I came out mature. I came out mature. What did prison do in his life? It brought him out with a newfound maturity. S some of you are in a prison of sorts right now. Not just a physical prison, but, a, but an emotional prison, a relational prison, a spiritual prison, perhaps. People will come up to you and say things like this. You'll make it through this. I don't know about you, but anytime somebody tells me, man, you'll make it through this, that's not like the greatest encouragement to me. Like, because let's just be real. We know we're going to make it through, right? Like, very rarely do we come into a season that's so bad that we think, okay, I'm going to die. Like, I'm not going to survive this. Every once in a while we come in those, and, th and those are the worst. But most of the winters of our life, we know we're going to make it through. So, so coming to tell me and say, man, you're going to make it through this, okay, I get that. I know that. I don't just want to make it through winter. I want to grow through winter. I, I don't just want to make it through the prison. I want to come out mature on the other side. I, I want to be molded by it. I want to be shaped by it. I want to grow through it. I want to know that it mattered, that it benefited my life somehow. I can't always choose my season, but I can't choose my response. Jesus says you're going to get cut either way. If you're connected to God, you'll get cut. If you're disconnected from God, you'll get cut. But if you really want to see God's glory, if you really want to live your life knowing that God is in control, what does Jesus tell us to do? He gives us one word. He says, just remain. Remain. Remain in me. Remain. 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 That's the secret to getting cut and not losing your mind. Remain in him. Did you see it? He said, remain in me. Verse 4, he says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. If you try to do this alone, you're not going to grow. You try to do this alone, you're not going to be any benefit. You're not going to bear fruit. If you try to leave, you try to do it on your own, it's not going to work. Remain in me. You must remain in the vine. No one can bear fruit by yourself. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus doesn't give 15 ways to survive an emotional prison. He doesn't give seven tips on how to make it through winter. He just says, remain. Stick it out. 
Stay with me. Trust me. Stay close to me. Stay in me. Let me stay in you if you will just remain. What's amazing about this is John chapter 15 is part of what's known as the, the last discourse. It's Jesus' last great conversation with his disciples. And Jesus knows what the disciples are getting ready to face. He knows the persecution they're going to face. He knows the, the fear they're going to face as they watch him go to the cross. He knows the, the, the pain they're going to suffer as they lose their friend. He knows what they're going to go through. And his greatest tip to them, his greatest advice, the thing that's going to help them to get through everything they're about to survive is he says, just remain in me. If you remain in me, you can't lose. If you remain in me, you're not going to die. If you remain in me, you're going to come out on the other side. You're going to bear fruit. Just remain in me. Don't give up on that marriage. Don't give up on that thing that God has called you to. Don't give up on, on those steps that you're taking. Don't give up on your time with him. Don't give up on the things that God's doing in your life. Don't give up on, on, on the ministry that God has called you to just because it's gotten cold, just because it's not working the way you want to see it working, just because it's not growing the way you want to see it grow. His command, his instruction, his advice, his encouragement is just remain. Remain. How many times do we give up? In the winter, and God had spring just around the corner. How many times was something new about to grow in our life and birth in our life and explode in our life, but we couldn't make it through the winter and we just tapped out? He says, remain. It's hard. Life's cunning on you. Stuff's coming against you. Discouragement is all around you. Remain. Hold on. Just don't leave. If I'm going to make it through this, I might as well get something out of it. Amen? How do you get something out of it? You remain. So, first of all, God's preparing something for you. Secondly, God's pruning something off of you. And the third thing that God does in us in, in a winter season is God wants to prove something through you. God wants to prove something through you. Here's what I believe. I believe God is always at work in every season of our life for two ultimate goals. God is working for your good, and he's working for his glory. He's always at work for those two things. So there, there's situations and circumstances in life and seasons in life where, where God actually wants to display something in us. He wants to reveal something in us. He wants to show something through us. So I'll prove it to you with this in John chapter 9. And this messes with my theology, but it's the word of God. And so I'm always going to trust the word over my theology. Here's what it says, John chapter 9. It says, as he went along, he being Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, whose fault is it? He, somebody must be at fault if he was born blind. It can't just be an accident. So it was his, it was his parents or it was his fault. Who's, who's to blame here, Jesus? And this is what Jesus says. He says, neither this man nor his parents said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And Jesus goes on, and, and he spits on the ground, and he makes some dirt, and he rubs it on the guy's eyes, and he sends him to wash in the pool of Siloam, and he goes and washes. And all of a sudden, this man who's been blind from the day he was born, starts seeing things. Wow. That's what a face looks like. That's what the tabernacle looks like. That's, that's what my parents look like. Like all these things he's only imagined. He, he's created in his mind. All of a sudden he can see for the first time because of the miraculous power of Jesus. It's this incredible miracle of God, but I don't like it because it messes with my theology. Because it says that, that he was born blind because God wanted to show something in his life. God wanted to prove himself. Now, now I, I believe that sometimes stuff happens, most of the time, Stuff happens. It's not because God is up to something. 
But sometimes God wants to give you a testimony. Sometimes something comes into your life because God wants to establish something. He wants to prove something. I could go through scripture and show you again and again. Jesus suffered greatly because God wanted to prove something in him. Job suffered greatly because God wanted to prove something in, in him. And I believe those are the exception and not the rule. But sometimes God is up to something. And, and all of us want the great testimony at the end, right? All of us want the, the 14 kids that Job got and the, the double the income and the greater influence and all the stuff. All of us want the testimony, but nobody wants the test, right? Man, I, we all look and we watch these videos. These people tell these amazing stories about, man, God delivered me from this. Or, or I was on my deathbed. Or, man, we, we couldn't have kids for 12 years. And then all of a sudden, God blessed us. And now we got 37 kids. And, and we watch these videos, right? And we're like, oh, man, that's awesome. Man, I wish God would do something in my life like that. We want the testimony, but we never want to suffer the test. And if you're going to get out on the other side with the great testimony of how great God is, there's going to be some dark moments in between. There's going to be some valleys in between. There's going to be some questioning. God, where are you at? God, what are you up to? God, why does this hurt so bad? And I need you to know that if you're in a winter, there's a spring coming, and God's going to reveal himself. He's going to bring glory to him through you, which I can't imagine a greater honor in life than for God to be glorified, than for people to see Jesus because of something that happened to me. But it's going to hurt. I love the testimony. I hate the test. But I don't get the testimony without experiencing the test. God wants to prove something through you. I'm not saying everything bad in your life is because God wants to show somebody. I'm not saying God killed grandma so that you can see. And I'm not saying that at all. Please don't misunderstand me. But I believe there are things, there are seasons, there, there are stuff that we confront where God's got a great testimony planned for you, where God's going to encourage others through you, where God's going to make a difference in the lives of many through you, but you got to go through the test first. He's going to prove himself faithful. He always does, but there is no testimony without a test. Just to wrap this up, just to, to review very quickly, here's what we're going to do as we go through the winter time. We're going to receive God's preparation. I, I don't know why, I don't know what, but I'm going to receive it. I'm going to remain in God's presence through the winter, through the prison, through the struggle, through the pain, through the pruning. I'm going to remain while he prunes, and I'm not walking away because it got a little chilly out. I'm going to remain. I'm going to stick it out. And then finally, I'm going to allow him to reveal himself as he proves something through me. These all start with R and P. I'll put it in a very basic form for you if you're taking notes so you can remember this. You can hold on to it. You can teach somebody this week. Here's what we're going to do, and here's what God's going to do in our life and how we're going to respond. God's going to prepare us, P, and we are going to receive his preparation. I can't control the why, but I embrace the what. Okay, God, I'll receive it. Prepare me. He's going to prune us, and while he prunes, while he cuts stuff off, we're going to remain in him, right? So he's so we allow him to, to prune us. We allow him to cut stuff away from our life. He prepares us, we receive. He prunes, we remain. And then finally, he's going to prove something in us, and we're going to allow him to reveal something to the world. We're going to allow him to show Jesus strong. We're going to allow him to show himself mighty and great and trust that while there is no testimony without a test, if we remain in here, here's the flip side. There is no test without a testimony. 
The testimony's coming. The spring is coming. There's going to be something great on the other side of it. There is no testimony without suffering a test. But if I trust him, if I allow him to move in my life, if I allow him to prune stuff, prune stuff out of me, there's going to be a testimony on the other side. If you're being tested right now, I want to encourage you, there's a testimony coming if you'll remain in him. Don't give up. Don't push away. Don't tap out. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Amen? Amen. We're going to weather the winter together. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you.